Thank you, Dr. Coleman, and thank you, the Prince family. It's a really pleasure for me to come to this meeting year after year and <clears throat> recognize each year how much progress we are making. And this forum gives us a very open discussion, talking to each other and recognizing how things are. <clears throat> so the changing paradigm is something which has been the theme of today's uh, sessions. And uh, from the tongue-in-cheek criticism of uh, treatment of multiple myeloma to comparison with CLL, and my cautionary note that yes, we should not be forgetting about the progress, but let us not gloat because we have not provided a cure for this disease. <clears throat> but How do I advance? Oh, got it. So these are my corruptions. <laughs> so the, the subtitle of my conversation can be, we started with chlorambucil and we are now in the era of venetoclax and CAR-T. All of these in between have been adequately and very ably covered through these sessions of Lymphoma Myeloma Congress. This is a busy looking slide, but it really summarizes what the charter that Dr. Furman gave me is the changing paradigm. If you look at the 1960s, which is a long time ago, and 1970s, we started with observation or wait and watch, which is still quite appropriate, but for a smaller percentage of newly diagnosed patients with CLL than it used to be in 1960s. But nonetheless, wait and watch is appropriate for most of the patients. And if therapeutic intervention seemed appropriate in 1960s, Chlorambucil and later on cyclophosphamide were our choices. They did affect the tumor load 
but they also came with myelotoxicities but they were the only plays in the town for those decades and we rendered some mild benefit but certainly reduced the size of bulky adenopathy and reduced the number of lymphocytes from hyperleukocytosis to some reasonable numbers then came the nucleoside analog era of 1980s and 1990s fludarabine turned out to be the most powerful consistently reproducible in effectiveness and toxicities but cladribin and pentostatin also were found to have some role fludarabine was the most with which we have experience and that led to combination of two alkylating agents no nucleoside analog fludarabine and alkylating agent cyclophosphamide fc which eventually led to a groundbreaking work from dr michael keating in houston and his team of fcr because rituximab had now come into clinical use in cll and it's uh, mitch smith has very appropriately pointed out the role of fcr and i will also have one or two slides devoted to that because there is no question that fcr has made enormous impact on the treatment strategies of cll then came the recent era that we come to the targeted treatments and targeted treatments starting with dr bird and dr brown and dr furman we have seen the changed paradigm <clears throat> on the novel side i do not have to repeat ibrutinib ecala idella and now as uh, jennifer brown mentioned duvelilivsib another pi3 kinase which just came into the picture uh, with a publication in blood and fda approval obinutuzumab the more powerful cd20 monoclonal and venetoclax and car t and what is not novel are and still have value fcr and bendamustine rituxan <clears throat> the fcr 13 year follow up from md anderson we have seen these slides innumerable times but they are very sobering 
that while we were anxious, patients and oncologists, hematologists, were anxious to throw all, all chemotherapy out of the window. This reminds us that Keating's work on a large sample size in frontline treatment demonstrated that those people who started the FCR treatment with the mutated IGVH gene had a large fraction of those patients who achieved a complete remission may really have been cured because this curve, the top curve, is the mutated overall survival and you will see that from about 7 years to 13 years, there is a, more or less a plateau of survival. And the lower curve are the unmutated. So there is no question that relatively younger people with good performance status, little or no comorbidities, those people indeed are the right candidates to benefit and even be cured with appropriate use of FCR as long as we do not burn the marrow by overusing FCR. And as was mentioned earlier, that if we stop the treatment after achieving MRD negativity or complete remission, after three or four cycles, there is no need to push on to all the six cycles of FCR. But the FDR would not look at the Anderson data because MD Anderson, by its principle, refused to do any randomized trials. So it took our colleagues in Germany to do a randomization of large sample size in frontline treatment of CLL between FC versus FCR. And this curve shows that the FCR in the mutated population of IGVH reproduces the single institution work of MD Anderson, and now with this randomized result, FDA approved FCR in CLL frontline, and that is where we are. But there are problems with chemoimmunotherapy. High risk for elderly patients who have comorbidities, they do not tolerate. Myelosuppression, and infections, subclonal evolution and drug resistance, second cancers and Richter's transformation, and 17P and TP53. All these are limitations for chemoimmunotherapy. Enters Ibrutinib, we heard from Dr. Bird 
that a British Navy is indeed both in front line as well as previously treated CLL patients. And this is the Susan O'Brien's summary of five-year follow-up in the frontline treatment as well as relapse refractory. The frontline treatment is the top curve, excellent plateau over a long period of time, and relapse refractory still significantly better than anything else that we could do. <clears throat> Going to the 17P and TP53 patients, ibrutinib is still emerges as a winner, whether treatment naive, the top curve on the left side, or relapsed refractory. And on the right side are the overall survivals. <coughs> but as we have seen with other speakers, that there are drawbacks of ibrutinib, that uh, it does not clear the bone marrow as FCR does, a bleeding, atrial fibrillation, but, and mutations. Patients who transform or progress on ibrutinib have poor outcome. Therefore, here's a friend of really long standing. <laughs> Thank you. I've been trying to cough this goddamn thing out. <clears throat> Thank you, Ray. You probably saved my life. At least you improved quality of my life. <laughs> <clears throat> so, moving from ibrutinib to idelalisib, the PI3 kinase inhibitor, which Dr. Brown has very elegantly covered. Idelalisib, in contrast to ibrutinib, which ibrutinib and rituximab combination, Dr. Bird told us that it is not a really very effective or better combination than ibrutinib alone. However, in case of idelalisib, it is indeed a standard is combining with rituximab and relapsed refractory patients have consistently benefited and it has been FDA approved for about five and a half or six years. And it is here to stay, although our observation has been the practical use of idelalisib in clinical practice is not as much as the success of ibrutinib. And then, <clears throat> duvalisib, a P53 
PI3 kinase as the target, but instead of idelalysib, this is both two of the epitomes, that is delta and gamma. Whether the two part targeting makes a difference in therapeutic benefit of Duvela as compared to Idella is still not known. The paper that came out in blood very recently demonstrates its activity, but approximately the same pattern of toxicities as idelalysib. But it's still for people who cannot tolerate idella, we have another effective proven PI3 kinase drug. And a word or two about Obinu, because after rituximab became very well established for 10, 15, 20 years, came Ofatumumab, and after that came Obinutuzumab, which distinguishes itself from Ofa and Ritux as type 2 glycoengineered humanized anti-CD20, but the large trial on frontline CLL that the German colleagues performed four and a half years ago clearly demonstrated that Obinu plus chlorambucil is significantly superior to chlorambucil alone in terms of progression-free survival in frontline or overall survival, and also better than rituximab plus chlorambucil. Therefore, since that observation and FDA approval, Obinu is not so slowly, relatively rapidly replacing wherever we used to previously include rituximab in combination with targeted treatments. Vinetoclax, I will not dwell upon this. We have heard already that this BCL2 inhibitor induces apoptosis in CLL cells because CLL cells by virtue of BCL2, just do not die a program cell death. With the venetoclax, that happens, and we were reminded that because of that activity, we have to be careful about protecting our patients from tumor lysis syndrome. And ever since that alert came on, we, we have avoided tumor lysis and maintained the efficacy by gradually building up of the dose of venetoclax in starting. And now the combinations. Venetoclax plus ibrutinib, both in relapsed and refractory, that is clarity study, which we had heard about earlier in the morning, 
and the same combination in front line, the captivate study. Both are fantastic studies and demonstrate that the changing paradigm is here and we better recognize that. Not many people have talked about ALO excepting uh, Neil Kay, but ALO stem cell transplant, just as we practically forgot about it after imatinib came in CML, similarly with ibrutinib and venetoclax, people thought that we can throw ALO stem cell out of the window. I don't think that is true. There is still some people who do not have good responses to targeted treatments. And as we saw in uh, Neil Kay's slide, that allotransplant or CAR T cells followed by ibrutinib may really be a wonderful thing. Will CAR-T lead the way in CLL? And as was shown earlier, that after the initial publications by Carl June from Philadelphia about five, four and a half years ago, of two out of two patients getting CAR-T, those patients had one and a half feet in the grave. They were salvaged and they had a fantastic response. And everybody and his brother, the patients and the doctors thought that this will be the final cure for CLL. Unfortunately, in larger series, these data did not pan out, but still CAR-T has a lot of promise Current emphasis, as we know, is on ALL, DLBCL, and myeloma. But there is increasing evidence that no matter who is doing it, whether Novartis or Juno or any other pharma, CAR-T is returning to CLL. So. These are the people who have already demonstrated the change in the paradigm and what I have done is essentially confirmed and restated their notice and my deep gratitude to Steve Prince and his wonderful family for all that they have been doing for a long period of time to support CLL research. Thank you very much.